Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Lillian Curry, Vice President for Strategic Initiatives, Arts, and Urban Design at the Cleveland Foundation. I'm so pleased to introduce today's forum, a conversation on Cleveland's mobility challenges and opportunities. Transit and phys physical access have had a direct correlation with the city's economic advancement, a topic that has been discussed here at the City Club and beyond. Understanding mobility to, from, and within our region is vital to our city's future and how to improve it. Social disparities, such from migration and changing wealth patterns, play a significant role in a city's successes or missteps in urban circulation. As such, the constant flow of goods and ideas from everyone is necessary to keep Cleveland alive and well. These are the themes described in Cleveland's Mobility Imperative, Designing for Flow and Meaningful Interaction, a report funded by the Cleveland Foundation. The study attempts to expand the definition of mobility and city circulation to include the constant migration and movement of people, ideas, and stories, and how they are connected to our community's physical, emotional, social, and economic well-being. This constant mobility and circulation in our region remains less understood in the realm of public policy and city making. This report uses data to map migration and living patterns. It also tells powerful, diverse stories alongside the data to bring to life the impact of our region, regional stagnation as a root cause of isolation and inequality. The intent is less to pu push the policy levers of circulation, but to show why it matters. Guiding today's conversation is Plain Dealer art and architecture critic Stephen Litt. A New York native, he began his career at the News and Observer in Raleigh, North Carolina, before coming to Cleveland in 1991 to join the staff of the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Over the past several decades, his advocacy for cities, art, design, and a smarter future has earned him many accolades, including a 2010 Robert Bergman Prize. He holds both a Master's of Science in Journalism from Columbia University and a Master of Urban Planning and Design and Development from Cleveland State University. Mr. Litt, I now turn it over to you. Thank you, Lillian. Good afternoon, everyone. So are, are we moving around enough in, in Northeast Ohio. Uh, as Lillian mentioned just a moment ago, we're here to dis, uh, discuss the uh, uh, Cleveland Mobility Imperative Report uh, written by Justin Glanville. Justin, raise your hand, please. And Richie Paperinen. Uh, so uh, the, the report raises the question of how Cleveland could be better designed for flow and meaningful interaction. So what, what is meant by that? 
The report uses the idea of circulation or mobility almost as a biological metaphor that indicates the social, racial, and economic health of a community. I'll read one quote. Circulation, or the constant and unimpeded flow of both people and ideas, it was, is what allows cities and regions to innovate, to remain economically relevant, and to achieve equity for their people across traditional racial and economic lines. Just as for living beings, circulation in cities equals life. Stagnation equals death. So, panel. Are we a stagnant pool or a flowing stream? And how, how does uh, mobility, physical mobility, in an urbanized region like, like ours relate to social, economic, and racial mobility? What's the connection? Who would like to kick this off with an answer to that? Well, I, could, I can start um, here, uh, just because we talked about me starting in the back room there. <laughs> so, and before I uh, go on, I just want to thank everyone for being here, and also thank my co-author, Richie Paparinen, who's here. We had a lot of um, meetings at Loop Cafe in Tremont trying to figure out what the heck we were doing with this report, and um, over the months that we were working on it, and I, I'm really proud of how it turned out, and Richie is, of course, a huge part of that. Um, so, uh, you know, I think I've been thinking a lot about, um, you know, with the 50th anniversary of the moon landing and how um, we've been hearing from a lot of the people who've been up in space about how the planet looks when they're up tens of thousands of miles in the air and how the insights that it has given them. And one of the things that they've talked about is realizing how interconnected everything is when they look down at the planet from that vantage point. And it's been making me think about this report. I was not thinking in those terms when we were working on it, but uh, I think what, what Richie and I tried to do is, is to really zoom that far out from Cleveland and start from looking at the planet. Um, and so, and, and ask the question, where does Cleveland fit in in terms of the globe? Um, so, as Steve, you mentioned in your, your intro, uh, we found ways where, in which circulation happens in a, like it, it does happen freely in this region and between this region and other regions, but also a lot of ways in which it doesn't. And, um, you know, my part of this was really looking at the ways that that affects people's lives. Um, so, you know, maybe I'll start out, answer your question just by um, talking about a few of the people that I talked to. And I should say that. Um, when I look for people to talk to, I don't have any particular method of doing that other than wandering around until someone's willing to talk to me. And that's actually how I met Deltrice. Um, <laughs> I just wandered into the offices of Bike Cleveland one day and, and was like looking for someone who was willing to talk to me. And Deltrice was there, and she was. Um, so uh, if, for example, um, one of the people I talked to in this book is named Jewel Smith. She's a mother who lives in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood, but chooses to send her child to a charter school in Ohio City. She rides four buses each way to take her child to school after working the overnight shift at a downtown hotel. Um, so for her, um, she's made that active choice to, to do that and to take her child um, on that odyssey with her. Um, and that obviously, you know, is a huge 
uh, impingement on her time. She doesn't have a, a car, um, but she is willing to do it because it's what she thinks is the best choice for her child. Um, other ways in which, um, so, you know, so when we, we talk about equity, I think about stories like that. I also think about um, people who are walking around the city and the ways their experience is different from people who are driving around. Um, I spoke to a resident of Lakeview Terrace in Ohio City who, um, on a daily basis, you know, navigates the sort of challenging intersections that are created from the exit ramps that um, take you off of the shoreway, basically right into that neighborhood. And, you know, there are crosswalks across essentially exit ramps. Um, and then meanwhile, you know, your view is of this new development that's happening that's, that's you know, pretty obviously not for you. So um, I think that, uh, you know, we, we talk about physical mobility and that's important, but the ways that we get to interact with each other is just as important. And I think one of the things that doesn't often get talked about when we talk about physical mobility is that when we have a really open and free moving um, system of people moving around, there's also a lot of social interaction and social understanding that can happen via that movement. Um, you, when you're in a car, you're very isolated. When you're using transit or walking, almost by definition, you have to interact with your environment and the other people around you in a way that you don't have to in a car. So um, those are some of the takeaways from me from this report. So you can see from Justin's uh, description here of the report that this is a very imaginative project that, that really tries to expand the definition of what mobility means. Uh, and, and to get into areas such as uh, demographics and migration and, uh, and social equity and things like that, things of that nature that are so important in the region. But our panel today is a very transportation-oriented panel. So uh, pardon me, moderators faux pas, I didn't do this at my first lead-in, but I will do it now. We have Jarrett Walker here from Portland, Oregon, a leading uh, a U.S. transportation consultant who is working on the system redesign project for, uh, for RTA with us. Jarrett, welcome. Uh, we have Grace Gallucci, the executive director of the Northeast <coughs> Ohio Area-Wide Coordinating Agency, NOACA, which just got a $9 million amazing grant for Irishtown Bend from the federal government. <laughs> yes, and we'll be excited to see that park happen. And Deltrice Daniels uh, from Bike Cleveland, who is also a Shiro with Black Girls Do Bike in Akron. Yes. Right. Yes. So, uh, Jarrett, uh, you once described uh, transportation and transit in particular as a map of your personal freedom. Maybe you can relate that idea to what Justin was telling us a, a moment ago. Sure. <clears throat> One of the great things about this topic is that there are so many great metaphors for it, and we have, to, and there's so many different angles on it. Justin has laid out this sort of biological metaphor of the city as organism, which is enchanting as some ways, in some ways, and yet I also think, okay, does that make me like a bone or a blood cell or sort of? <laughs> so we got to reconcile that with the fact that we're also individuals, and we also have needs and rights and passions as individuals, and the city is about us all engaging with those. Why did you all come to a city when it's cheaper to live out on the prairie somewhere? Because you can do this. Because you can come together with other people and that's how ideas happen and that's how certain kinds of possibilities happen in our lives. So 
let's talk from the individual perspective, fully agreeing with Justin's, with Justin's metaphor as well. Um, think about some of the basic freedoms that are foundational to who we are. The freedom to speak, the freedom of association, the freedom to hang out with whoever you want to hang out with. The fact that, under, that, that, found, that those are really foundational to our economy. Our jobs involve hanging out with other people, right, all fundamentally. We have to be able to access those opportunities. You think about uh, the you know, freedom of choice in all kinds of ways. Freedom is about having meaningful choices, right? If you can only get to one grocery store and it only carries one kind of milk, then you have no choices, right? It's the fact that there are choices before us. There are, we could do this or we could do that. And so when I, I often bristle a little bit when I'm called a transportation expert because it seems, makes it sound very technical. I am a physical freedom specialist, okay? There are two ways that we can achieve some of these freedoms. One is we can stay home in our pajamas and do things on the internet. And the other is we can leave home. And when we leave home, right away, your freedom is about your ability to go places with your body. Your ability to go places so that you can do things. And so when I'm thinking about a transit network, which is what I work on, but also when you think about any other kind of mode, Fundamentally, we're talking about planning for freedom. We are deciding how free people will be, who will be free, who will be not, not so free, and that is why everybody should care and why it should not be, and why nobody should be thinking that transportation is some sort of expertise that the engineers will take care of, because that's not what it is. It's something that everyone is very directly affected by, and one of the things that I do in my work also is I try Never, I, I am a consultant who aspires never to make a recommendation. I aspire to never go into a city and say, you should do this. I will go into a city and say, you should ask this question. You should think about the trade-off between this and that. Here are some consequences of thinking about it the way you're thinking about it. Here are, here are some other ways you might think about it. Ultimately, that's what we try to do. Because I don't live here, you live here, you get to make the, you get to make the decisions, although I will, I will sometimes help to frame the questions. But I want to put it in the context of freedom, because that is actually not just a great way to talk about transit, but it is extremely measurable. It's, we can measure how many jobs a person in this place could get to in an hour. And I can describe that. I can draw a picture of that blob. That's the wall around that person's life. That wall contains, outside that wall are jobs they can't hold, schools they can't go to, houses of worship they can't worship at, clubs they can't belong to, people they will never meet. And if we move that wall outward, or through better development, move more stuff into the wall, which you can all, those are two ways to do it, we've made someone measurably more free. And so I think we have to think about transportation simultaneously in terms of that, what's the, what's, what's the point for the individual, and also, what's the point for the organism? All right, so we have plenty of four-wheeled freedom in mm -hmm. Northeast Ohio. We have a big uh, highway system that moves tens, hundreds of thousands of people around the region every day. What's wrong with that, Delfries? What's, what's missing from that? <laughs> the bikes. The bikes and people, um, but bikes. And so as you were talking, and you were talking about the freedom, my, I'm first thinking about is I have freedom on my bikes, you know, and it is fun, but that choice, so I have lots of choices. When you're on your bike, you can go in lots of places with that bicycle. And so 
the, tr the highway is great, but I can't ride my bike on the bike on the highway, and ne neither can no one. You really shouldn't. And <laughs> we should be designing our roads and our communities so that people can bike for exercise, for sustainability efforts, and that they can walk, and just all types of mobility. Well, I want to remind you, when we were talking before, you said, what if you don't own a car? Exactly, yeah. What if you don't own a car? That is your only mode of transportation, so the highway do does you no good at all. And so having a bike and having the communities and the roads designed so that everyone can use it, not just cars, not just people, so, everyone. So the, the mobility imperative report says that we've become divided into uh, communities uh, according to uh, uh, you know, race and wealth. Uh, we have wealthy suburbs. We have uh, urban areas where, where people are, are not as free to, to move around and to access what the region has. Uh, Grace, you've made equity uh, a, a kind of a, a cornerstone of your work at NOACA. How do you interpret uh, that going forward in terms of what your agency wants to do? So um, first I want to thank the Cleveland Foundation for continuing to keep the important topic of transportation and equity in the public uh, discourse. Um, NOACA has made uh, great strides over the years to develop a transportation system that works for everyone. However, that everyone was a, um, a definition perhaps that mattered um, or, or, or was taken differently when the highway system was built 50 years ago. Uh, when the highway system was built, that's what people wanted. That was the response. Um, that was new. Uh, the bicycle and, and pedestrian access is something that is important now. A hundred years ago, we had um, horses and buggies on, 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 on city streets. And so it, things have evolved. And I think we have to continue to think about the physical uh, attributes of transportation and how that impacts um, a person's freedom as well as, Jared said, the organism or the organization. I do like the metaphor of um, arteries. Uh, Toby Cosgrove actually um, said that when he was promoting the BRT and the health line, saying that the health of a person's heart um, is, uh, is you know, uh, dictated by the health of the arteries. And that, of course, then determines whether or not the entire uh, person is healthy. The same with a city or a region. It is determined healthy based on its arteries or based on its transportation network. Um, the arteries need to serve everybody, but everybody has different ways that they need to be served. Uh, NOACA has been trying over the years uh, to do that. We do have a terrific highway system that has been built uh, to be able to move both people and goods in a safe and efficient way. Um, and again, because that was what was demanded and that's what uh, essentially we did, we're looking at it now as, well, there was a whole lot of impact, the externalities that was not intended. And some of that led to the inequities, some of it led to um, further segregation. Uh, segregation by race, segregation uh, by um, income and social <coughs> status. And those were not things that were meant to happen, but they did happen. And we have to be um, cognizant of that and recognize we need to right some of those wrongs. Uh, by the way, for those of you who didn't catch BRT, that's Bus Rabbit Transit uh, Line, and that's on Euclid Avenue, and it uh, carries our health line. 
uh, with a, a dedicated guideway for, for buses. And it was a big federal $200 million investment that has triggered billions of dollars in, in other uh, projects um, in, in the Midtown region of Cleveland. Jared and, and Justin, why, why should anyone who lives out in, a, uh, in the suburbs on a five-acre lot care about this conversation? Um, <clears throat> What's in it for them? They already they have their highway. They can get to work. They can you know zip around the region. So and that's totally. What, what does it matter if, if someone in, in the urban core can't get to uh, a job uh, in in one of the new sprawling job centers far out? Well, the the if the person can't get to those jobs, an employer can't get workers that they need, or an employer at least is going to have less competition for the jobs <laughs> they have, and that's going to be a problem for the employer. Now, the current generation, or sort of the, you know, we all live in the infrastructure that our parents and grandparents built for us, and the infrastructure, and, and the decisions that led to those jobs all fleeing out across, uh, across the farmland to be far away from each other and to be far away from the city was a set of assumptions based on the extremely low cost of transportation. The notion that it's just going to be really easy for everyone to drive everywhere. And it's great that you have, you know, if you want to have your job in the business park, if you want to have your five-acre lot, that's fine. Nobody's questioning that. But it doesn't scale. If you have a five-acre lot out there and you have your ideal lifestyle, you better hope that not very many more people want that. Because if very many more people get that and you continue sprawling until you're halfway to Columbus and, you and you've built the form in such a way that driving is the only way to do it, you know, now you have sort of Los Angeles in 1970. You, and, and, and what is fascinating about Los Angeles now and why I encourage people to study Los Angeles is that it is a city where an overwhelming majority of people, we get 70, 80 percent of the vote for colossally expensive funding measures for <coughs> transportation. And that's because the overwhelming majority of people in that city understand that the city is built wrong. It, it is built in a way that doesn't work for them. And how it was built that way was by you know, a million individual decisions about, I got my little pace here, I got my business park there. It worked for every individual. But like cars themselves, it only really worked as long as not many people did it. So uh, I want to uh, turn the conversation towards uh, another piece of information. I found a fascinating statistic in, in the uh, Mobility Imperative Report that uh, we are, uh, uh, because of the lack of mobility in terms of migration into this region, uh, we are a where did you go to high school region rather than a where are you from region. And I, I ask everyone to reflect on that for a moment. That means something to me because I came here from uh, North Carolina where every third person I met was not from there and also had a PhD, which is pretty interesting. Uh, so uh, we, we are uh, a region, uh, Cleveland is a metro region, according to the report, uh, which has, uh, in which 75% of our residents uh, were born in Ohio. And that means that we rank uh, fourth from the bottom in birthplace diversity uh, in a list of top 50 metros. And that data is cited in this, in this report. Does having a better transportation network, a more diverse transportation network with streets, complete streets that are designed for bikes, with a better transit system that can serve more people and is better funded 
Will that make us a more economically viable and attractive place for people to move to so that we are no longer four from the bottom panel? What do you think? I, I, I would say it, it does, particularly in terms of attracting people who are just finishing up their educations. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, there's one of, the, one of the stories we tell in the report is that um, people in their 20s, okay, so I'm going to generalize about millennials. You, you guys all love that, right? Millennials when people <laughs> generalize. Uh, no, but it's true, I think, of every generation. Like, I think there's a rite of passage that happens where you want to live in a really vibrant, connected place where you can meet people easily when you're young. And so um, I think people seek that out in, in a city in terms of where they want to live, when, especially when they're in their 20s and starting out. Um, so they're not really seeing that here in Cleveland. Um, and so I think a lot of people who maybe are looking for that <clears throat> would not look at Cleveland as a good place to move to. And then, then because of that, they're not going to think about it as a place to ultimately put their roots down as well. Um, so I would say that's like one, one way in which having a more, like more transportation diversity would help us to be like move up from that fourth from the bottom list. I mean, I'll also say that you know the transportation network in the greater Cleveland area is extremely strong. We have a healthy artery system, arterial system. In fact, it's no no coincidence that in transportation we call major roads arterials. Um, the question really becomes around: um, we don't have the density that sometimes allows us to have that diversity that we would like in terms of transportation mode, which then translates into many of the things that you're suggesting. Um, we have this system that was built largely for a million more people than we currently have in the region. And to exasperate that, we continue to move outward and create more infrastructure, more capacity that we don't need. The good news, we are 65th of all large cities, which is often a bad ranking, 65th. But in this case, it's a good ranking because it's 65th in terms of congestion, roadway. We can get anywhere we want in this region in a relatively short period of time. But the question becomes, how can we better ensure that everybody has a choice? And choice means not always distance, but it means sometimes distance, sometimes both. So there's a lot of moving parts here that we have to consider when you're talking about where do I live? Where do I go to work? Um, what are the mode options? Um, if I'm an employer, that, they're all things that need to go together and we need to ensure that that conversation is happening at a large level, uh, particularly with the business community. The business community has made a lot of those decisions around where employers go, and that has dictated in many ways how we've grown and, and how we've evolved. And in order to get that diversity of people that we want here, I think we're still getting it. You know, Even in your report, you talk about a lot of immigrants uh, some that you interviewed, some that you've got uh, statistics on that have moved to this area in large part because it is affordable and it is easy to get around. Mm -hmm. Well, health is relative, right? So Cuyahoga County uh, is, is not looking so healthy in terms of uh, its relation to the other counties around it. Cuyahoga County has been losing population and tax base for decades <laughs> while the other counties are growing in population and tax base. Uh, one might say, and I think this is another conclusion that one could gather from this report, that our circulation 
in terms of where we're living is one way and it's out, out from the center. And because of that, we don't have the density to uh, support a more robust uh, transit system. So do we need, do we have solutions, do we have structures in our region to address this regional problem of equity in which some communities are winning and some are not winning? Well, there's no doubt that NOAC has made it a, a very robust part of its vision to ensure that there's transportation equity. The board has been very deliberate on putting some policies in place that have allowed communities that could not participate in the past in developing some or, or, or repairing, rehabilitating transportation infrastructure to do so. We've also been very diligent about putting out funding as well as planning efforts towards building a more multimodal system. But it's, it's a question of prosperity for the whole region, isn't it, Jarrett? It's a question of prosperity, and, it's a, and when we think about prosperity, the challenge is, when we think about prosperity, it's always tempted to think about that in terms of quarterly reports, or like, you know, what are we achieving right now? But it's also, are you laying the, the groundwork for continued prosperity, such that people making longer-term decisions, like the location choice, you know, like whether to move here, whether to found a business here, are going to see it as a good investment. And one of the number one issues now, and it's going to become more and more conscious in people's minds, the world's becoming more unpredictable. There are all these, this is going to be an eventful century. All kinds of stuff we can't predict are going to happen. And some pretty big things that we probably should predict are probably also going to happen. And the watchword is going to be resilience. Resilience means essentially what shocks could I absorb? What things could happen without killing me is essentially the question of resilience. And when I look at that suburban, at that, at that suburban sprawl landscape, the business parks, the everybody having to drive everywhere, that is a land use pattern that has very little resilience. It has to have a continuous supply of petroleum. It has to have a continuous process of maintenance of roads that are incredibly expensive to maintain. Most of our road system is overbuilt in this country. I Much might add, with the declining population, yeah. we're building more stuff. We have right. fewer people. Everybody's going to be paying higher taxes, well, right? That, that's on the NOACA that, website. That's, sure, that's the report that we worked on several years ago called Vibrant Neo 2040. And the idea that we um, analyzed a 12-county Northeast Ohio region and that every county would be worse off in 2040 than the best county today financially. And because of exactly what you said, there's less people that have to support more infrastructure, whether it be schools, whether it be roads, um, health systems, etc. And it isn't sustainable. Jared's exactly right. It's not sustainable. So you have a very, just like Chad, yeah. you have then, how does Cuyahoga County stack up against its neighbors? You have the secret sauce. You have an old city here. And an old city means you have a city that was built to be resilient. Because in the 19th century when cities were being built, there wasn't one dominant mode of transportation. There wasn't just one way of getting around. So cities were designed to be easy to get around in a lot of different ways. And as a result, the decision now about whether to establish a business inside Cleveland, you know, on Euclid Avenue or whatever, as opposed to putting it out in Solon, is a decision about, is decision in part about, again, what future possibilities do I want to be able to handle? You know, what, how, how, what range of possible futures do I want to be okay in? And I think there are some signs that that is, that people are starting to recognize that about this region. So here's some bright spots for you. Like amid all the, the doom and gloom, like 
So from our report found that Cuyahoga is ranked 65th out of 3,000 counties nationwide in terms of net in-migration of foreign-born people. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that means that um, you know, that's one thing we could build on is that, and, and one thing I thought was interesting is I talked to Joe Simperman from Global Cleveland for, for the article I did about you know, um, people who are foreign-born moving here. And he says our legacy of being a welcoming place where immigrants move to in a time when there's a lot of xenophobia and distrust of that could be one of our biggest things that we could build on. Um, also, uh, our bicycle, people who bike to work is, has grown by 400% in the last few years. Um, so, and, and there's also um, an in-migration of people into our core neighborhoods is another thing that we found in the report. Um, where, of that course, seems, the all transit of that options seems are. to uh, uh, buttress what uh, Jared just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I think we're uh, ready to explore some questions from the audience. I want to thank everyone uh, for a great conversation. Dan, would you like to sure. take over? Sure. Thank you, Steve. That's Steve Litt of The Plain Dealer, and I'm Dan Walthrop, Chief Executive here at the City Club. We're listening to a forum on Cleveland's mobility challenges and opportunities as well. On our panel, we have, uh, you just heard, Justin Glanville. He's the reporter and producer at Ideastream and the author of Cleveland's Mobility Imperative. Also on the panel, Deltrice Daniels, Outreach and Membership Manager for Bike Cleveland and a Shiro of the Black Girls Do Bike Akron Chapter. Grace Gallucci is with us as well. She's Executive Director of the Northeast Ohio Area-Wide Coordinating Agency, also known as NOACA. And Dr. Jarrett Walker, President of Jarrett Walker & Associates and author of Human Transit, How Clear Thinking About Public Transit Can Enrich Our Communities and Our Lives. We're about to begin the Q&A. We welcome questions from all of you, City Club members, guests, students, and those of you joining us via our radio broadcast or our live stream. If you'd like to tweet a question, you can tweet it at the City Club and our team will work it into the program. Holding our microphones today are City Club interns, Remy Orsania and Sophia Brewer-Thompson. May we have our first question, please? Hi, thank you. Um, I'm concerned about segregation by ability. Why aren't people more worried about holding back the mobility and the contributions of our valuable citizens in wheelchairs? They have so much to give us in this city, and I know people who have been daily humiliated by their inability to get on a bus because the ramps don't work, by their inability to uh, get around construction because there's no ramp to get off the curb? Why aren't more people worried about disheartening these people and disencouraging them from being a vital part of this city? I mean, I can say that NOACA, as well as I know ODOT and, and um, RTA, as well as the federal government, U.S. Department of Transportation, are very concerned about that. And there are laws that we put in place um, as, a, as a society that we're um, um, implementing now relative to the transportation system. Um, unfortunately, it's not, it's not ubiquitous. You're absolutely right. There are still barriers, and they need to be addressed. And, and hopefully, as we move forward, we continue to address them. We have funding that we put into um, ways to support uh, those with disabilities, uh, whether they be um, wheelchair or, or others. We've done studies about uh, seniors aging in place and, and how, to, how to transport them. So we are working on that, um, but you're right, we have to do more. Um, complete streets has been one of the fundamental changes in transportation planning for streets. Um, 
what if you know, in the Nawaka region, you are able to affect change in city planning by mandating that each development, whether it was housing or warehouses, be required to develop a transportation plan so that at least they had to think about how their employees were going to get to their warehouse in Solon. Could you talk about that, please? Sure. Um, a couple of things. First of all, NOACA currently is in the process of developing a very robust, complete streets plan that will be applied region-wide. I don't have a whole lot of the details to tell you yet, uh, but perhaps six, nine months, a year from now, we can have that conversation. I think some of your ideas are really, really good uh, when we talk about how we can better uh, create a livable community. Um, because we are home rule, there's not some, you know, some of the things we can't do, um, but NOACA is a forum for local government officials to come together uh, to come to consensus on a lot of these public policy issues. So I think we are going in some direction um, towards your, your, your outcome. It may not be exactly how you're saying it would be done, but we're trying, trying to go there. Can I add one thing? Um, the whole issue about how we get employers to take responsibility for the consequences of their own location choices is really fundamental to what you're talking about. What often happens and what's really routine in this business, and it worked in lots of states, you know, California, for example, has a commute trip reduction ordinance that says an employer over a certain size has to take some responsibility for helping their employees get around sustainably. And that means jobs for an employee trip co coordinator in every company, but the location decision has already been made. The, the, the factory has already decided to put its front door on the opposite side of the building from the street where a bus could stop. It's already decided to put itself in a cul-de-sac where people couldn't even walk to the bus if they wanted to. It's already made all those decisions when it chose its location and when it chose its floor plan. And that's the place where you have to attack well, it. Yeah, and that's a good point. Anytime a new development um, is planned, they have to do a traffic analysis. So it's not as if they don't. And we review many of them. The problem becomes that much of that is done um, at a more local level than it is at a regional level. Um, as we try to introduce more of the regional concepts um, that, that takes hold. For example, one of the things we're working now on is workforce mobility planning. And we've been demonstrating uh, to some of our stakeholders, particularly working with um, Cuyahoga County Economic Development and Cuyahoga County Workforce Development Board, as well as Medina County Economic Development. We're looking at where the jobs are, where are the people that have the skill set for those specific jobs that those specific uh, organizations, um, locations are looking for, and how best to match them. What we're proposing is let's try and suggest that people ought to have shorter commutes. Rather than trying to get somebody from Huff to Solon, let's get somebody from Garfield Heights and Warrensville uh, Heights to Solon. And as we do that and we look to reduce those commutes, even a 1% reduction in commute time, which improves um, quality of life, air pollution, and reduces dependence on uh, petroleum. So we've got a lot of things that we can work on, but 
we have to have cooperation from the private sector and the businesses, which is why we're partnering with the economic development organizations to have those conversations. So perhaps when they do look to relocate, they know how to better locate. When they're looking to recruit for employees, they can better have that match and that mindset of trying to get people there in a way that makes sense for those people. And, and also if I can interject some resources and incentives for employers and employees. So if someone's living in Warrensville and they wanted to go to work to Solon, they can do that perhaps using a bus and a bicycle. I'm always mm -hmm. gonna talk about bikes. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and, and getting around, you know, I don't think that anyone, having those choices is important, not to limit someone where they live and where yeah. they work or being penalized for that, just allowing them choices and resources. And there are programs that employers can take advantage of through the um, IRS or you know big people that will <laughs> offset those fees and incentivize employers for biking to work. Well, and I think that's exactly the point. It's choice for everybody, and you know not to not to, to discount the 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 potential employee from Huff. Um, they perhaps in terms of where our job uh, centers are located, maybe it's best for them to get on um, the the rapid and go to the airport to work or take public transit in a, in a, in a uh, closer location. And when we've looked at this, there are a lot of empty uh, positions, there are vacant positions, a lot of folks looking for employees, and a lot of employees work looking for work. We need to better match that. Um, I thought it was really um, interesting, the connection between where your physical body can go and freedom, I found that to be really resonant with me. I guess I'm a bit of an anomaly because I arrived in Cleveland. I'm not from here. I'm a millennial. I don't have a car. Um, and I arrived as a graduate student. I found it significantly difficult to get around Cleveland. Um, I happened to live at that time just a few blocks away from Huff. And fortunately, I lived on the health line because I couldn't imagine trying to get around without being on the health line. Um, and I think um, there's a significant amount of intentionality that has left people within the city without access to public transportation. Um, a significant amount of intentionality, not just in Cleveland, but across the country that placed highways in such places that Lakeview Terrace is essentially cut off from the rest of the city because of the placement of the highway. And in fact, I think cities, I mean, studies indicate that um, uh, if highways had been actually built for efficiency, they would be placed in a different location than they actually are. So I guess my question is, when we think about equity in getting around cities and having choice about your career, what are the prompts, what are the primes, and what are policymakers doing to ensure that equitable decisions are actually being made? Again, we have uh, done a lot of work around equity, and you bring up a lot of great points. I'm not sure what you're studying, but if you haven't considered public policy and, and public planning, I think you should do that. Okay, and then you should look. We have interns that we hire. You may want to talk to me afterwards. Um, but those points are very salient points, and, and we are working towards uh, uh, taking, taking a hard look at how we currently operate. You have to think, too, that when and you're absolutely right about the highway system, and that's what I did one of my uh, thesis on when I was in graduate school, is the um, externalities, the negative impacts of that highway system on everything I spoke about earlier, whether it's racial segregation, income segregation, um, uh, uh, class, 
and, and how do we address that? It's long range planning to, again, my, my right the wrongs. We have to look at public transit. I'm not so sure that I would say that it was done with intentionality. A lot of it ends up being an issue. I think, Grace, okay. I want to jump in here. There's a new book out called <laughs> uh, The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. And he uh, uh, adamantly rejects that argument. This was an intentional policy undertaken by the federal government starting in the 1930s with the redlining maps of the federal home loan uh, organization, uh, continuing on with the FHA refusal to, uh, to provide lending in redlined districts and cities, uh, with the design of our highway system, which disadvantaged communities of color. Uh, so th this, I, I was saying sorry. public transit. No, no, I was reacting to her okay, public I'm transit. Okay, I'm sorry. I think I just it was an important yeah, yeah, no, point to say that yeah. this was to to say now publicly, uh, according to this research in this fantastic book, it was an intentional policy. And I wanted to jump on this, this speaker. Thank you so much for your question. Is what we're talking about here unconstitutional? We're spending taxpayers' dollars in ways that disadvantage one population versus another. Is it unconstitutional? Who would like to take that? <laughs> Your turn next. I've silenced the panel. Okay, I'll jump. I, yes, yeah, I ahead. think so. I mean, you know, but we've been doing it for so many years, and it's, it's going to take a long time to reverse it in a lot of political will. And is that political will out there? Um, you know, you look at, we're, we're just such a highway-friendly state, you know? There's no consideration of, the, of spending any of, aren't we raising the, the gas tax uh, again? And all that money is going to go to building highways. Um, there's, there's very little that's ever set aside for transit or, or anything else. And, um, you know, and when it is, it's, it's often a subterfuge for, you know, getting the roads that we actually really want or that the business community really wants. We have more questions over here. Stephen, I don't know where the I mic is. Yes, thing. Jared, please. Please remember that a fundamentally, a fundamentally helpful way to understand the state of the old inner city like Cleveland is colonialism. Think of the old inner city as, for, for most of my lifetime, for most of the second half of the 20th century, the, 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 the suburban and rural view of the old inner city was what? This is a place we go to for a certain resource, proximity, where we have our offices. It's a place that we extract resources from, but we don't listen to the people who live there. And we don't really think much about it as a place people live. We think about it as a place we go to get things. So everyone who is concerned about equity and, and is coming at this purely, perfectly appropriately in, in, from the perspectives of race or all these other kinds of historical inequities. Remember that the city itself is a despised and colonized place, right? And that that is something that everyone who cares about Cleveland, inner city Cleveland in particular, has in common. And the, and the, and those, uh, the, the funding priorities of the state of Ohio, if they are essentially continuing to build um, highways because highways are what work for the suburbs and rural areas and not comparably investing in the infrastructure that makes sense for the city. That's a problem. This goes also to the, the, the challenge for equity advocates. Let's remember how we got all these freeways through the cities. There was an equity argument 
urban, uh, or urban inner, inner city people at the time had heard, you know, highways are what it is, right? Highways are what it's about. So, so they're building highways out there in the suburbs. We've got to have highways in the city. It was an envy thing. So when you're thinking about justice, don't just want what they have, because maybe what, what, they, what, what, what they have for themselves isn't actually good for you. A whole lot of hands on this side of the room. Oh, no, sorry. Steve, if I can address my intentionality sorry. on public transit. Wait, sorry, Grace. <laughs> so when I talk about public transit, and I, I thought what I heard you say was that the, um, I guess the, the sort of, uh, the elimination of service and, and the lack of service in the Cleveland area around public transit and, and the fact that it's a, it's a more car-centric um, um, uh, region is concerning to you. But I wanted to say that from a public transit perspective, in Ohio, this region is the only region that supports public transit. And it has taxed itself 1% at the Cuyahoga County level in order to ensure that there's a regional public transit system. The region got bigger, so that's unfortunate that we, we, we're not able to connect it yet, we're studying that. When you talk about NOACA, we are a regional organization. We spend a lot of money on public transit. We fund public transit vehicles, we fund public transit, uh, we're looking at the rail cars that we're funding. There's a lot of mechanisms that regionally, including the health line, we've got folks that are from five counties, yet they fund a tremendous amount of public transit in one of them, as well as bicycle infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So you've got a lot of folks in the five counties who have, um, they don't have the need nor want that level of infrastructure for bicycle and pedestrians, yet they are funding it for an area. So I wanna just be careful to say that um, the, the, the issues with the RTA are funding. Yes, they are funding. Um, and, and when we say intentionality, um, we have a 1% that the sales, uh, that the voters voted for in 1974. Is it enough now to sustain the system we want or need? That needs to be the question. And there's where I think the next uh, um, level of discussion ought to be and see where people are relative to making that happen. Thanks, Grace. And uh, I want to say that I, th I was talking about the intentionality that put uh, uh, Cleveland and Cuyahoga County in the position of, of having to And do I agree the with that, absolutely. Thank when you. you talk about the highway system and the original intent of the highway, it was to disperse the population of the cities. Yeah. There's no doubt. Hey, uh, my name is Dominic, I'm from The Fund. I have a question on, it's a two-part question actually, a question on equity within the new forms of mobility that are coming out. So you've got the Ubers, you've got Lyfts, you've got bike sharing. A lot of them focus on mixed use, high density. A lot of them focus on white populations. So how does equity as a thing play out in these new forms? There's been cases where Uber's taken over public transit in cities in Toronto. So how does this whole thing work out? Are there regulations that are being planned? Uh, my second part is, are we in a way encouraging community-based solutions? We talk about people out there in Central trying to get to Crocker Park. I am from Asia, and I'm used to a lot of informal networks pop up. They might not be safe, they might not be working under the ambit of the law, but they're still there as a solution. So is there something, is that something that the city or the county looks at just in form of something coming up from the ground? Can I take the Go new ahead. mobility question? Yes, please. Sure. Um, 
that's a great example of the, of the point I was just making, which is, yes, there, there's, there's always a, a, a new shiny toy. And right now, I've been through a lot of shiny toys in my career, and right now the new shiny toy is, is Uber and Lyft and stuff like that. Um, they're taxis. Nothing's been invented. They're taxis. They have the same, they raise the same equity issues that taxis have always raised. They are expensive to use, therefore ex are, are, therefore are not a suitable solution for low-income people, but what they do do in high-density areas is carry, is carry enough people in an incredibly spatially inefficient way to cause congestion. <laughs> And that's the, and remember, Uber's deal, Uber's promise to cities is we will reduce parking demand by increasing congestion. That's mathematically what Uber does compared to when people drive themselves. That's even before you start thinking about not so much, I'm not so much concerned about the way Uber competes with public transit. I'm concerned about the way that those companies' PR messages convince people that public transit is somehow obsolete. And that's the problem. And then I would also add, you know, the, it's still a model where you're largely going around in a bubble. So the whole point of our report is that circulation is what leads to life. And when you're taking a, a very specific journey from point A to point B, probably most times alone um, with the driver, that's a very limited, um, there's very limited opportunities for true circulation inter and interaction in that model. So it's not, um, it, it's, yeah, so I would just add that to what Jared said. It's, it's not going to do what I think we're saying in our report is what we should be doing, which is to accede to how the world actually works, which is that everything's interconnected and people should interact. And I wanted to answer your question about the equity and education for people is that is part of the work that Bike Cleveland does, part of our mission, is to get that education out. Because in order for people to have choices to whether they want to bike or drive or et cetera, they need to have that knowledge. You only know what you know. So our work at Bike Cleveland does address that by providing opportunities for people to learn and get more information about how they can make a choice on their own. Do we have a mic over? Oh, sorry, go ahead, Joe. Um, question. How do we provide the option of safely riding a bike for underinvested Southeast Cleveland residents? Underinvested Southeast residents. Yeah. Education and more bike lanes, of course, but they're just not going to pop up overnight, unfortunately. Um, so having conversations, meeting with policymakers, and people can make those decisions to show that there is the need and that it is safer for everybody involved. That um, getting that infrastructure out. I think we're about to wrap up, but I just want to thank our, our panel before handing this over uh, back to Dan and uh, say that uh, one thing I'll be thinking about as I, I leave this room is uh, Jarrett's statement, which I think is a wonderful quote, freedom is about having meaningful choices. So thank you all very much, Dan.
And that panel was composed of Dr. Jarrett Walker, who you just heard of. He's the author of Human Transit, How Clear Thinking About Public Transit Can Enrich Our Communities and Our Lives. Joining him on the panel were Deltrice Daniels of Bike Cleveland and Black Girls Do Bike Akron Chapter, Grace Gallucci of NOACA, Justin Glanville of Ideastream, and the author of Cleveland's Mobility Imperative, which uh, really was the catalyst for this whole conversation. Steve Litt of The Plain Dealer, the art and architecture and urban planning, unofficially urban planning critic as well, of The Plain Dealer um, is with us. He mentioned Richard Rothstein's book, Color of Law. Richard Rothstein spoke here at the City Club uh, not too long ago. You can find um, that speech, his conversation about that book, The Color of Law, at cityclub.org. Uh, this forum today is part of our Authors in Conversation series, supported in part by residents of Cuyahoga County through a public grant from Cuyahoga Arts and Culture. We're grateful to all the residents of Cuyahoga County for their support through that grant. Our community partners for our program today include Bike Cleveland and the Paradox Prize. We appreciate your support and partnership. Additionally, we welcome guests at tables hosted by the Cleveland Foundation, Clevelanders for Public Transit, the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland, Ohio City Incorporated, and the Greater Cleveland RTA. That brings us to the end of our forum. Thank you very much to our panelists and our moderator. Thank you, friends of the City Club, members of the City Club. It's been great having all of you here today. Our forum is adjourned. Have a wonderful weekend. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on Ideastream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.